0: Listener Production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to Come Out Wherever You Are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So, Congratulations, you are now a part of this beautiful community. If you are listening to this podcast in real time, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's going to be Christmas in a couple of days. Whether you celebrate or not, the entire world is dressed in fake snow and Santa Claus. And I know for a lot of you, whether you are a member of this beautiful queer community or not, you are just an ally. Smiths, the holiday times. Hell, all holidays can be a little overwhelming. I hope you are listening in the comfort of your car or your bed. You have your headphones in, and I want you to just be able to spend the next hour in a comfortable place, relaxing, with a bunch of people who support you, who love you. This is a super safe space. And if you are headed in a direction that maybe isn't, maybe your parents don't know your truth yet. Maybe they do and they're uncomfortable with it. Maybe you're bringing a partner home for the first time. I just want you to know you are loved exactly as you are your truth is a beautiful freaking truth and it doesn't matter if you're comfortable speaking about it. it doesn't matter if the people on the other end of that family holiday table support you because we do because I do and I just wanted to leave you with that message before you dive into this conversation and because this is a podcast about the coming out experience it is only fair that I go first My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am gay. I first came out in 2000 when I was 12 years old, and I last came out this morning sitting down in a cafe, which is a really big deal if you aren't from New South Wales or Australia in general, because I'm finally able to sit in a cafe for the first time in a long time. And I was just having a beautiful conversation with the people next to us about my children. They asked a follow-up question about my wife and I had to make a decision in the moment. Am I gonna out myself as a gay man? And I did, and the conversation was beautiful. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family. Millie. Millie, can you just introduce yourself and tell me when you first came out and when you last came out?
1: Hi. Um, so I'm Millie and um, my pronouns are she, her. I love the way you frame this, actually, because I do like the distinction between the first time and the most recent time because I feel that um, often conversations around coming out are very much about it being a one-time experience. Mm. Um, so in terms of the first time, I would say there wasn't for me a definitive moment. I feel like with a lot of queer people, it's a transient journey that continues in small, minute steps. Mm. And for me, it wasn't a big, you know, surprise and jumping out of the closet. Um so i'd say i mean the first time i kissed a girl was probably in my early teens the first time i slept with a girl was probably in my late teens um the first time i had a relationship with a girl was maybe in my 20s and then i got engaged to my wife in my late 20s um, we got married in my early 30s and now i'm eight months pregnant with her baby so
0: amazing amazing that's,
1: <laughs> that's my coming out journey um and the most recent time, I was trying to think about this. Honestly, I've been such a hermit in lockdown um, that I really haven't gone many places or had many opportunities. Um, but I'd say buying a house and having a baby in the last kind of six months, you you were forced to come out a lot mm. in these kind of quite high pressure situations. Um, so I'd say those are the ones that kind of stick in my mind the most of late,
0: Millie Putama is a self-described wild wife. She and her wife, Jessie, share their lives online, living a slow, off-the-grid lifestyle. I-, I want you to just imagine the most luscious, beach, bush, postcard view of Australia, and that's exactly what their life looks like. Millie and Jessie were involved in Australia's marriage equality campaign back in 2017, and their Instagram and blog were born off the back of that. They've been sharing their lives online ever since, including their wedding, fostering kids, and most recently, their journey of going through IVF and Millie's pregnancy. There isn't really a lot you need to know about Millie before we dive in, except that... If you're coming in here with a black and white understanding of what it means to be queer or even the coming out experience, this conversation won't be so successful for you. So all I suggest is you come in with a nice open mind, willing to learn and hear new ideas. Now, let's get stuck into things with Millie. The concept of having to come out, and I'm, and I'm putting it in air quotes for a reason, a lot of queer people... Have struggled, will struggle, are struggling with the term in general, because it basically shouts from the rooftop that inside is a dark closet. It's dark. It is scary. Uh, there's <laughs> you're covered in things. You're uncomfortable. You're alone, and then you come out and ah, it's light and shining and beautiful. Right? That I can completely understand the historical need for this term, because for many people, it did feel dark, but the world is changing. It has changed. But I often wonder if it's a privileged concept, this idea that you can live a life that people are just welcome into your truth. If we take a step back all the way to your beginning, where you start to realize, wait a second, I don't think I'm straight. Were you privileged enough that the world that you lived in, the country, the state, the family that you were given, born into, were all of those places safe enough that you could potentially explore without a reason to come out? Does that make sense?
1: Definitely. And this was something I was going to address straight away because I have so many privileges. I obviously have white privilege, but then I have straight passing privilege, which means that you know, I can, I guess in some extent throughout my life, dip my toe in and out. I can come out if I choose to, but I can also remain in the safety of my kind of straight presenting body. Mm. Um, I have a very, very accepting family, very accepting friends, very accepting community. Um, living in a country, you know, for the most part, um, it's an accepting country. And yeah, I I feel that all of my worldviews are shaped around that privilege. So when I talk about the notion of not having to come out, and the notion of coming out not being a formative, you know, big event, obviously, for me, it wasn't. And my hope is that for many, many people in the future, it won't be. And if you can live your life that way, where you don't have to do a big hurrah, here I am, then I feel like that's a really positive thing to normalize same-sex relationships. The caveat to that is I also have many, many close friends who have absolutely no relationship with their families now. Mm. You know, their families have completely disowned them, their families haven't attended their wedding. So I do realize that, you know, everything I'm saying is coming from a place place of privilege, and it's really worth making sure that that's understood. Definitely.
0: So let's remove coming out. There must have been an experience where you brought home a girl for the first time or spoke to your family, the people closest to you, your truth. How did that interaction go and and were you forced to kind of accidentally come out?
1: Um. So I'd say in terms of, you know, bringing a girl home or whatever. I mean, I moved out at 17 and never went back. I went off to university. So there wasn't so many, it wasn't like I was, you know, in high school, bringing girls home to my parents' house. But I definitely brought girls to their house of a weekend, you know, going to visit. And it was never really a thing. Like, they didn't say, oh, is so-and-so just a friend? Or is so-and-so, you know, something more? You know, I'd bring these girls, they'd stay in my bed, whatever, we'd go out and, you know. But it was never addressed. Um, Sorry,
0: so did your parents... I'm just... My parents thought the status quo, these amazing human beings, they would have just thought that I was going to bring home a girl, right? And then I didn't.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there was occasions when I'd brought home boys as well. So, you know, they just never really asked questions. And it's not because they didn't care at all. It's just because I don't think they felt like they needed to. They acted no differently when I'd, you know... Bought boys home if I had a boyfriend in like my early teens or 20s, to if I had a girl there. And even in later years, when I'd say, Oh, you know, I'm dating so and so, like, you know, Sarah or whatever, it was always a kind of like, okay, sort of situation. And my sister, she has a female partner as well. But I've never said to her, and I don't believe my parents have ever said to her, like, Oh, how do you identify? And, you know, what is this going to be? And whatever. Yeah, I had a female partner first, obviously, like married to my wife. And now my sister happens to have a female partner. She lives in Melbourne. And it's just, for us, a non-issue, really. She's got the most amazing girlfriend. I absolutely love her. The four of us get on so well. We talk every single day. It's just a kind of natural thing. I think there was definitely times when I probably could have had more full-on conversations with my family or my friends and explicitly addressed it. Um, But that goes back to the whole narrative of, you know, coming out and feeling the need to address it and say, oh, I just want to make you feel comfortable and let you know that this person is actually more than just a friend. For me, I felt like I didn't need to do that or particularly want to But there were certainly times, I think, when my parents were like, oh, anyway, so, you know, our lesbian friends and us are doing this and, you know, oh, you know, they would drop it in conversation or whatever and make sure it was known that, you know, it was a safe space um, or recommend certain films or whatever. Like I think, you know, they knew and I knew that they knew and it was just something that was just like whatever.
0: Well, it's really fascinating. I don't know that I've ever met someone of our age range who had parents who created an environment that so closely aligns to how modern parents are attempting to raise their kids today. Because the, I would say in the parenting space now, the new status quo is, well, treat your kids like they're bisexual and non-binary, and then they'll figure, you know, that if they come home with a boy or a girl, you're ready. That is all the women who follow me. It's mostly women. 99% 99 women follow me. And they're all parents. And they say to me, what can I do? And then I say, um, "You know, create an open environment, a safe environment where they know they're going to be loved, respected no matter who they are. And then you're good to go. You are. You just are. And then I have all these modern day parents who are saying, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to have no expectations that's it. And you're saying you were raised like that. So you're really the the potential outcome of the type of child that listeners could have. A person who feels that it's not a big deal. They can just live and bring people home. And, and then now you're about to become a mother, and you're going to cre- recreate that beautiful cycle of acceptance and no expectations. And then hopefully, we take over the world. With no, with no expectations.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very telling. I mean, my parents, I I genuinely believe they are extraordinary in lots of different ways in the way that they raised us. They're very, very left-wing. Um, in, yeah, there, there's lots of um, very kind of positive. They were, you know, really kind of anti-racist. We went on like lots of different marches. We spent our summers at Glastonbury Festival. Like they were I would say, you know, the epitome of kind of hippie work, very working class down to earth hippie people. Um, And I mean, it's quite telling that they created this safe environment and now happen to have two daughters that both are in same sex relationships. I think that's definitely um, telling that they've done something by creating such a safe space.
0: Mm. I don't think there's any parent listening, not a single one. Whether you are a staunch uh, Catholic who believes that homosexuality is a sin or on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you love everyone and anything and nothing matters to you and labels are stupid. No matter who you are as a parent, you all want your children to be happy. Uh, I I hope in in your hearts of heart, you are hopeful that your children can grow up and and live a happy life. And so, if you can figure out a way to be extraordinary and create systems—or lack of systems—that allow your children to feel free, I mean, that's a that is a gateway to having happy children. I think. So I guess the the kind of recap here is um, we've acknowledged the privilege, but now let's let's hero the story. Now let's truly dive in and try to understand what that would look like. Because, at what age did you first realize um, I'm not
1: I'm not straight? I would say there was like a series of moments. Okay. So there was also some, I guess, internalized homophobia and a kind of understanding that straight was the default. Mm. So I definitely think I went through most of my childhood and kind of early teens believing that. There were kind of pinnacle moments that I remember um, so I remember my dad had a really good friend from work who was a lesbian um when I was in my early teens and I remember just like asking him lots of questions.
0: For no reason, for no reason, just education, right? Had nothing to do with for you. For no
1: reason, yeah. <laughs> just fascinating, you know. Mm. And then my parents' friends now actually um are a lesbian couple with two kids. So that's what I mean when I say extreme privilege. Like my family, you know, there was never a worry that I wouldn't be accepted. Okay. I do remember moments like um, do you remember Carol and Susan from Friends? Yes. <laughs> Ross's yep. ex of Yeah. Course. Okay. So I don't know when that when that episode would have aired. I guess it was like the late nineties, yeah. would it have been? Yep. Yeah. So that was probably like kind of teen time as well. And that I do remember that being a defining moment as well. One of the things that really, I guess, held me back from a situation where I kind of came out more comfortably was I genuinely believed, and I'd say until up until my twenties, I believed that if you were gay, you wouldn't have children. And I don't know if this is something you also believed, which sounds stupid because I'm an intelligent person. I was probably at university at the time when I started to grasp that actually it was possible. But I always felt that from all the other queer people I knew, they had had relationships with the opposite sex, had a child and then gone on to be a lesbian or be gay or something. So I thought that was the path I was going to have to follow because I knew I was so fiercely maternal and I wanted children. So, yeah, I just didn't think that was an option, which kind of makes sense. Like, people think that's crazy now. But if you think about Australia, for example, it was only, like, 2017 that all states in Australia allowed IVF for lesbian couples. It was only 2017 that all states allowed adoption for gay couples. I think, was it 2001 or something like that when the first country allowed gay people to get married? So, like, if you're any older than 19 or 20, you've lived in a world where it was illegal to get married. So, you know, me and you have lived in a world for, like, 10 years or so where, you know, you couldn't get married, you couldn't have kids. So, um, yeah, I hope it's easier for people... Nowadays knowing that you do have those rights and that's another reason why me and my wife share our story because i hope someone sees it and thinks oh wow i can have a baby like it is possible for me
0: It's really one it's really hard for me to listen to you talk because i just get so emotional when it comes to being a young person and dreaming about being a parent because for everyone else in the world 90% i mean i i, I hope that that number changes over time as people start to be able to identify more accurately. But the more recent data in this country, right? 90% of people just are straight. Our movies, our television, um, our radio, everywhere we look, our home that we are in for most of us says the way in which the world works is man plus woman equals baby and so on and so on and so forth. So if you're a young person and that narrative does not work for you, all the way up until the 1970s, it was impossible for queer people other than getting a divorce and just getting the children you had made in a relationship that was performative for other, for you know, for other people. It was virtually impossible and unheard of. That, that queer people had children. So even from the 70s all the way up until gay marriage starts to get legalized, we start to see more queer people having children on television. Maybe you thought in the back of your head it was a possibility. Like, oh, well, I've seen that one person on that one program in 1996 who were gay and they had children. It didn't mean that you thought it was possible for you, 10-year-old, 13-year-old Millie or Sean living in our countries. And so if you're listening and you're you're an ally, for many of us, I think you just thought, well, I really want to be a parent. So the only option is to lie. I mean, what else are you going to do? Exactly. Yeah, right? It's like beautiful for young people to be able to see a Millie or a Sean online sharing their parenting journey, but to put into perspective what 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 it meant to be you at that time It's not, I mean, you would have had, you really would have had to work extremely hard to figure out a solution where not only could you meet someone and marry them, let alone have children.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, like, yeah, it took me a really long time to even fathom that that was a possibility. And then once you start realizing that it might be a slight possibility without the aid of a man, so obviously, you know, the friends example they had a child with Ross and then straight away went, went off together. And, you know, it definitely took some time to come to terms with the fact that it may be possible. And even you must know yourself, even though we know it's now possible, it doesn't mean that it's not easy. Like the hurdles you have to go through as a same-sex couple, the financial hurdles, the time, the energy, all of those things are not easy even now when the laws support us, when, you know, there's medical interventions that are available it's still a much much trickier road than you know if you're a straight couple having a baby I mean not necessarily there's always fertility issues and things like that but generally as a rule of thumb it's so much harder for us I always find it interesting when people talk about IVF in the narrative of straight couples who've been trying to have a baby and they can't and they say, oh, yeah, you know, we're going down the IVF route. And there's always like this huge amount of compassion towards them. Like, oh, you know, that's so sad. It's going to be so much money. Like we really feel for you. What a journey. But that's the default for us. The default for us is that we have to go through all these hurdles. But yeah, it's interesting that there isn't that same understanding or or anything like that. I, I find that yeah, no one's ever said to me, oh, what a shame. You're you know, so that right. you've got to spend all this money
0: or... <laughs> mm, you're right. And I feel like the other element that's coming up for me as you're speaking is there's a lot of internalized homophobia within ourselves, within the queer community that many of us haven't had time to unpack. And for so many young queer people, uh, the idea of not being able to be a parent is actually what holds you back in many ways. It's It's what pushed me to sleep with women, which I regret and am devastated by that I lied to these wonderful women who I've apologized to and we're still close with. But still, you know, when people ask like, well, why did you fake it? And why did you hurt, you know, play these games and try to date these women long term, it's like, well, it, it doesn't the whole world work this way? Like i am I supposed to have children? I want to be a dad. And so if I if that's what I want, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. And if lying and cheating is what it's gonna take, I'm gonna me- I'm going to do it like every other gay person did for every decade and century before me. You know what I mean? That nonsense you tell yourself. And so when you come to the parenting experience today, when you can get married legally, you still have a lot of queer people who make it that far. And then they go, wait a second, is just choosing to have children internalize homophobia of its own? like am i just following down the patriarchy and the, st- the joke of like breeders <laughs> yeah. like oh you're just going to be like the straight breeders and it's a challenge for queer people to have to come to ter- to come out or welcome people into to that truth and i'm i really do want to come all the way back to like you're young you realize this is something that i want and that's potentially what's going to hold you back And then you make it all the way to the end goal where it's finally possible and there's still anxiety about it, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that I would like to see for future generations be lessened. I just think if there was, like, imagine a day when we didn't have to come out at all, where people could just live authentically in the same way that straight people don't come out. You know, people could just date who they wanted to date or you know, have the tools to be themselves. Because I think the other thing that we forget to talk about when we talk about coming out is we assume that, you know, you figure it out in your head, and then you go, aha, I'm, you know, a lesbian or whatever. Um, But if I think about my journey, um, I originally said I was bisexual, because I felt this, you know, I guess it was internal guilt or you know, people wouldn't take me seriously because I previously had had relationships with men in my like younger years. Mm. And then I came out as a lesbian. I mean, I didn't, you know, come out, but I guess I kind of referred to myself that way if someone did ask me, because I felt that that was more appropriate. And I wanted to make a stand and say, you know, it's all women for me. Um, But that felt too binary, but I didn't know if there was another word or something that I could use. And I just never got used to the word lesbian. I don't like the way it sounds. I don't like the way it rolls off my tongue. Maybe that's internalised homophobia. I don't know, but I just hate the word. Mm. Um, So then I became more comfortable with the word gay because I feel like people understand that you can just be like, oh, yeah, I'm gay, you know. And finally, I have settled on the word queer because I know that obviously who you date isn't a reflection of your own sexuality. Um, So my wife, her pronouns are she, them, so, you know, that doesn't affect my my sexuality. I could still be a lesbian and, and she could still have those pronouns. But at the same time, I felt it was more appropriate just to be queer because I feel like that really does encompass who I am as a person. So, yeah, it's, you know, even myself, I've had like four different identities over the space of, you know, my lifetime. So, yeah, it'd be exhausting if I had to like announce each one of those things.
0: It's interesting. I mean, I'm almost all of the last four conversations we have, the same story has come up, which is I understood a part of who I was in that moment. I came to terms with and felt comfortable acknowledging to people that I was X. And over time, it's evolved. Sometimes for no reason at all, you know, just a, a new understanding of your truth. Sometimes because of a new lover. Sometimes because you have access to new language. Right when we were younger, none of us would have heard the word non-binary. So how would you know that that was an option? Nah. <laughs> uh, so with time, we acknowledge that there are new truths, and then, of course, there could be some in the future that none of us know about new terms that you hear and your full euphoria consumes you. Your whole body tingles and you go, that, that is me. And so I think that's really special. I do want to, just for the sake of devil's advocacy, try to understand a world, specifically when you and I were growing up, because I'm just trying to wrap my head around, I believe everything you've said. I agree completely. I also have hundreds of friends in the same box as you. I mean, hundreds, no joke, who are like, I was this, and then this, and now I feel more comfortable here. And to be honest, I don't know who I am yet, so, <laughs> so I don't want to have to speak any truth. But the world is still very demanding of us, isn't it? The reality is, when I went to high school and realized I was gay, there was no one else. Well, so I thought. There was no one else who was gay, and I couldn't figure out how to find out. There weren't social media apps and there weren't dating things and I didn't have a phone. And so the only way to find out was to talk, to tell people, I like boys, I'm gay. Do you know anyone who's gay? Do you know anyone who's gay? As so I'm trying to, I'm wondering when you're younger and you you said, I realized I liked girls and then I kissed a girl and then I slept with a girl. How do you then find people who are, if you're not acknowledging who that truth?
1: I would say, well, I was definitely a little bit older than you so that I'm not so much talking about like high school era Mm. so much. Mm. I'm talking more about like early years of university than kind of into university. And I feel like that it was much easier then. So that was when I guess, well, MySpace definitely existed. Um, Facebook came out, I think it was in my, maybe my second year of university So it had started to be this, you know, kind of social thing. There's different social clubs at university, but then you're going out partying all night and, you know, you're kind of meeting people and it's a bit bohemian. And so I think that was for me, like the kind of pinnacle sort of starting moment, I would say. Mm -hmm. It was much easier then. Yeah. Like I think at high school, it would have been like really difficult. You'd have like really no options.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I'm really hopeful that the modern primary school and high school students just wouldn't have to deal with that, mainly because all the technology does exist. It's easy to self-label. For many people, you never really have to come out because the platforms now allow you to put your pronouns. And so right away, you're not having to have those awkward interactions of being like, actually, I'm really sorry, but Will you respect my pronouns? They're they them. Like they're right there, um, and so you miss out on that big big moment. But I guess finding love or finding lust can be a little difficult if you go to a bar and there's a hundred women, and you know you're non-binary or a lesbian or transgender or bisexual, but figuring out how everyone else is is uh, I, I guess that's that is where my blind spots live. I believe wholeheartedly that we should live in a world where you don't come out. And I also am am stuck with, well, then how do you find people out in the world if you're not doing it? You know what I mean? I guess that's what I imagine some people are thinking.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely more challenging. There's obviously, um, you know, gay bars and everything that exists. But I met my wife in a straight bar.
0: You did?
1: Um, that was our story. Yeah. Wow. So it is possible, but it's obviously much harder. And it is much harder... I guess when you are kind of very feminine in appearance, um, like I said, I think I am quite straight passing. I definitely used to, you know, dress up a bit more in the sense, you know, wearing a casual flannel around your waist, wearing a beanie, like Mm. just doing a couple of things that might, (laughs) you know, tick a few boxes. (laughs) Um, Even if you were wearing, you know, a really nice floral dress or whatever, you just put on the flannel around your waist and keep your eye out. Like, I feel like, there are ways of knowing, like yeah, it's not completely impossible.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right. You're totally right. Tell me about the interaction then with Jesse. Like, y- you just meet another girl uh, at the time and a person at a bar. And at what point in the interaction did you realize it would be possible for the two of you to be more than just casual <laughs> acquaintances?
1: I think I realized almost immediately that she wasn't straight. I think we both kind of dressed up a bit more mm. then. Mm. Now we're just like, um <laughs> wear, you know, like linen pants and, you know, overalls and <laughs> jumpers and whatever. Like, you know, mm. we're, we're not dressing up for anyone. We're just like living our little off-grid dream. Um, But back in the day, there was a lot more, I guess, you know, the classic kind of signals, the... Outfits and stuff. So I think I I knew straight away when she started talking to me, and yeah, it's like I it was just straight away got chatting, and then pretty much saw her every single day from that day for like months and months. Moved in together after maybe like a month. Like we did the whole like u holding yep. classic.
0: Fueling the stereotype. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Such a stereotype. <laughs> but
0: look, here you are, married with children. So, or about to be.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, six years on. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was a very kind of stereotypical thing to do, but it worked for us.
0: <laughs> Looking into the future, because we still very much live in a world we're coming out is occurring. In fact, the day in which we're recording this is national coming out
1: day. It is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I think, perfect because what we can do is we can hold space for the reality of, of the existence now, which is that some people who aren't as privileged as the two of us live in environments where all around them, they're hearing language that makes them feel unsafe Um, or they can't go to the bathroom they would like to go to out of fear. And therefore, they feel if they can speak their truth, then more safe environments can be created. Safer language, a lexicon can be used. Like you said in the beginning, um, that experience also can help you understand where you sit with the people around you right? It can potentially eliminate uh, friends or family members, but at least it allows you to like get that off your chest, have less anxiety, and then move on and find your new family. But for many people growing up today in 2021, some young people who might be listening to this, uh, that is not so much the case. And so if you look into the future and you imagine a world where we don't have to come out, can you paint a picture for what that would be like? How how would straight people, gay people, people across the spectrum with labels like what what is your vision for what the future could potentially be?
1: I guess at the moment, we come out, the concept of coming out is something that we do for straight people i I believe, yes, because straight people don't have to come out. We come out to you know let straight people know who we are, and for me, I feel like that is often a negative thing. If you were just in a bubble and it was only members of the queer community, you wouldn't feel the need to come out. You don't have to come out and announce yourself. You might have, you know, conversations about people's partners, or you might respectively ask someone's pronouns because, you know, you want to get it right and things like that. But you don't demand answers of someone like i've you know wouldn't say to you like how do you identify i mean you know we might in this context because we're having a nice conversation about it but generally when i meet a group of lgbt people i don't sit them down and say hey so are you you're bisexual is that right okay and you're a lesbian cool cool and you're this and that like it just doesn't happen we don't do that ever we might like say oh who are you dating you know, like, oh, do you fancy her? Like, she's pretty hot and all of these things. But we don't feel the need to out each other to ourselves. And so my future utopian vision would be that we don't need to come out because I really do think it reinforces the ideas of heteronormity and patriarchy as well. Um, and people often don't think about that. But, you know, it like an example if you come out as bisexual, often it's assumed of women that they're doing it for attention and that really they like men, but you know, they're, they're just kind of trying to be like naughty and sleep with girls. And, you know, it's really all for the men, but at the same time when men come out as bisexual, it's assumed that actually they're gay and they don't quite have the strength to come out properly as gay because, you know, they're they're not quite there yet. So Obviously we know none of that is true but that is a very very common stereotype that i feel that most people who've identified as bisexual previously have had so that's what i mean about it reinforcing you know heteronormativity and and patriarchy and if we just remove that step then i don't know maybe the world could be a a brighter place
0: really you're blowing my mind here. Everyone can't <laughs> see my eyeballs, but my eyes are very large. The, real, the first reason my eyes bulge is because I realized I've never asked someone their sexuality in a queer space, ever. I really just realized it in this very second. I have never gone mm-hmm. to a queer space, ever, and ever said, are you gay? Are you? Why are you here? <laughs> I've never been like, can mm-hmm. I see your mm-hmm. ID? <laughs> like, you just live. and. <laughs> yeah. And then I was thinking, well, she's missing... I'm trying to uh, find some flaws in the system so that we can identify blind spots and then potentially have conversations about them. So I thought, oh, well, what happens if there's a straight person in a queer space? But what's interesting is maybe 10 times in my life, I have thought a straight man in a queer space was quite cute and then I start dancing near him or I, you know, flirt with him or whatever. And then he says, oh, sorry, 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 um, I'm actually straight. And then I go, oh, okay, don't even worry about it. Why are you here? And then life moves on. I don't think that he would say that was his yeah. coming out story. It was, um, it was just a conversation. It was just dialogue. And it occurred in a safe manner. Again, we're acknowledging that... That is not always the case in every single country and every single place where an interaction like like that could be so safe, um, right? So, so there are queer people that if they were in a straight space and they flirted with a straight man, that that interaction might not have gone so well. But what it does is it acknowledges and identifies that it's possible.
1: And I've stopped doing that, actually. That's another point. I used to, um, you know, you'd be in a club And often I'd go out with like straight friends or whatever, and someone would approach you and I'd say, oh, no, sorry, I'm a lesbian. or no, sorry, I'm I'm queer. But actually what I find that that does is it says on some level I might be interested in you, but I'm not because my sexuality deters me. So you can just unapologetically say, oh, no, thank you. You don't have to at that point say I'm queer or I'm straight or... I'm bi, and these are the boxes I put myself in, and therefore that's the reason I'm not into you. I'm not into this man who's approaching me, more likely than not, because I'm just really not into him. You know, so you can just say, no, thank you. You don't always even have to out yourself in that particular situation, which I think sometimes as a woman, again, that might be some kind of internalized homophobia as well, because you are potentially putting yourself in an unsafe situation if you were in a bar and you said, that you're a lesbian, yeah. sometimes that can add fuel to the fire. So I guess that's another reason why I don't always do that.
0: Yeah, and and what we do know to be true, just to continue to paint the picture for people, is that there are straight women who use that term so that they can get out of difficult conversations. Mm. Right? They're saying, oh, I'm a lesbian, so please true. get away from me. Because we still very much live under a patriarchy where women aren't safe. Uh, and so that does, that's... Deters actual lesbians from being able to speak their truth and use that and not have men be like, yeah, right, you're just, you just want to get away from me. And then also what we know to be true is that there are still many humans on this earth who would like to use the term lesbian, the term gay, and I'll use slurs here because I think it's important for people to understand Dyke and Faggot, like they use those words to mean specific things you're too butch of a woman. You don't dress X. You're too feminine of a man. Your actions are less than masculine. And so I also can understand why some people like to use the words to reclaim it. Like, I'm proud of this. So don't Mm -hmm. stop using it. But I think then we have the whole picture, which is if you don't feel safe, here's when it's valuable to talk about who you are so that so that other people can create an environment where you feel safe. And if you really like someone and you want to see if they could like you too, that potentially you might want to use those words to explore it. Now I feel like we've covered (laughs) it all.
1: (laughs) Yes, I feel like we're getting there. And again, it does come back to, I guess, some levels of privilege in the sense that, you know, some people might not, feel like it's the right time to have these conversations. Some people don't live in a safe space to do it. Some people might not come out because they're dating someone that's not ready to come out. Because I think we always assume that coming out is an internal experience intrinsically linked to just oneself. But I'm sure most LGBT people have a Example of someone else they dated that was in the closet that said, Oh, don't tell anyone about us.
0: Absolutely. You know, so
1: I just think that when we have these conversations, we just have to remember that every single person's experience is unique and it's not always based on an individual deciding, I'm ready to come out. Because we also know that many people are outed without wanting or, you know, really being ready to have those conversations. Um, So I guess we have to remember that too, is that some people don't want to come out and they are out and some people want to come out, but, you know, there might be a multitude of reasons that stop them. Um, And often coming out, stories don't include those narratives either.
0: I feel like now is a time for us to acknowledge young people who are questioning their sexuality. Because really, you've just given... Every time you speak, basically, you've given some wonderful advice to young people who might not feel that their story is being told or might not feel ready or might not like the idea of putting a label on themselves. But if there's a young person listening who, who is questioning things, what would you say to them through this lens of not needing to come out, but just living a happy, fulfilling life? What would you say to those young people?
1: I would say to always make sure that you are safe So if that is confiding in a few safe people first before you explore and, you know, explore might be, you know, kissing someone at a party or it might be joining a dating app or or whatever it is, you know, it doesn't have to be a, you know, sitting your whole family down and telling them that you're gay. It could just be a, you know, dipping your toe into different scenarios. Um, But I would say it's good to make sure that there are some safe people Supporting you um, so that you don't feel kind of alone in your exploration. But other than that, I would say as long as you, you know you're you're confident that that you're safe, especially if you are you know using dating apps or things like that to kind of meet other LGBT people. Then I just think yeah, just start exploring. Start small. Do baby steps. Things that you're comfortable with. Um, yeah, I
0: love it. Mainly, I love it because. I mean this whole conversation has opened my eyes but the word exploration I want everyone to sit with that word for a hot second the narrative up until I guess the last 5 years maybe 10 has been find the other box that's not straight and then dive into that one so and you you proved it perfectly because you and I both came out as bisexual and then both moved to another box at some point. And so there's a negative stereotype on on that alone, but let's remove that from the equation. And it's, I think I'm gay, therefore I will come out as gay. I think I'm non-binary, so therefore I will come out as non-binary. And then what happens is you end up having to come out later as, as trans or X, Y, Z. And so if we could sit with exploration and communicate exploration to people, that could be the gateway to not ever needing to come out, which is, I'm just exploring my sexuality. I'm exploring my gender. I am in a space of exploration. Can you accept that I'm on that journey? That is a really interesting way to think about, quote, coming out, which is just telling people I'm exploring myself. And it's fucking beautiful.
1: And I think we should normalize that every single person on Earth, to some extent is on this spectrum of explore, exploration, you know? So even if you are vehemently straight and, you know, very cisgendered, you you would sit on this end and perhaps you might, I don't know, there, there, there could be some exploration, or like, you know, maybe you'd wear like a skirt occasionally mm, or whatever. Mm, like, mm. I don't know what it is, but everyone can be on a scale Um, from one side to the other. So instead of making this some unique experience that LGBT people have to go through, what if we just put everybody on the scale and then we just say like, you know, we're sliding to this side more or or whatever. I I Um, like
0: that. Because
1: the thing about labels is They can be helpful. And I think there's something really nice about identifying with a group of people. So, you know, by saying you're queer and you're proud or you're non-binary and proud or trans and proud or whatever it is, you know, these can be labels that are really helpful and they help you identify. But they can also be really damaging because to some extent, they reinforce a binary regardless of what that label is. So, you know, lesbian is reinforcing a binary. It's saying you are not interested in men and you are not interested in non-binary people. You are only interested in women. And that's fine. Some people really are only interested in women and that label might f- make them feel powerful, but for others, it's too restrictive. I would like to invent a sexuality that's like the equivalent of non-binary where it's like, you're just... This being, you don't have to explain to anybody what your sexuality is, and it's just living your life.
0: Yes, that is fun to explore. I will say, when you were questioning, like, what is a narrative that Seriously, straight cis people might understand, and and I would say we have a huge crisis amongst the straight community. I can't believe I'm talking like this, as if this is true. But I, I but I want to hold space for queer allies listening. Queer people are often labeled as being sex positive, and that's the nice way of labeling it. Uh, gay men are slutty. Lesbians get married and fast. Like we, we have a reputation for being out there, bold, wild. I went to Mardi Gras. I saw a bunch of guys wearing dog masks. Gay men are crazy. What I want to say publicly is that on average, because queer people have to struggle to find themselves, I think we're better communicators with what we want amongst each other. When you're in a relationship with another man on average or women and women, I feel like there's a lot more communication about what is going to make you happy because you lived in a closet or an unhappy space for so long. And so I have found that a lot more men in my life, gay men, say I'm into this, I like this, can we explore this fetish? I want to try this, this is what gets me off. And I find that that's not always the case amongst straight people. And I and and I I don't even think that that's a generalization. Because we also just have documented proof that 50% of marriages are going to end and of those 50, a majority of them occur because of infidelity. And I know that that's not just among straight people, but what we do have is a problem in our ability to communicate what we need. I want you to suck on my toe. I know that sounds silly, but it's not. I, I, I need you to uh, dress up. Sexuality, we have a lot of conversations about sexual identities, gender identity, But sexuality is important. It's a huge part of who we are. We all live on a binary with what uh, on a spectrum of what excites us. We all need different things in the bedroom. Just because you like a woman doesn't mean all women are going to fulfill you. And so if we could think about life like that, which is, yeah, you're straight, sure, but you're not going to like all women. There's nuances within that. And even if we narrowed it down to what type of woman, what type of woman might then want to please you the way you are looking to be pleased, that is not so different to exactly what we're talking about. If we could just openly communicate, this is what excites me, this is what I want, this is where I lie, I wonder if we'd see a lot happier relationships.
1: Yeah. And and I guess there's the sexual element, but there's also the romantic element. Mm. So everything that you've mentioned in terms of, you know, your your sexual needs and desires and what you want and, you know, a certain type of woman might be what you go after in that regard. I think there's a lot to be said about queer relationships in The way that we have actual relationships, the way that we raise our children, the way that we communicate, the way that we share tasks that would be traditionally, you know, gender conformist tasks, such as, I don't know, mechanics or washing or, you know, doing the laundry or all of these things that, you know, there's not necessarily a stereotype when you're two women like, who's going to do the washing up? It's, There have been lots of studies that have shown that tasks like that are more evenly divided. You know, pay might be more even. People might take, you know, have more equal power. Like all of these are just an example. And it's obviously not true of all relationships. But I just think in general... In same-sex relationships, perhaps there's less of a power struggle too. Um, And there might be more of a kind of honest communication, like you said, in the bedroom, but also just in life. And I feel like that in life aspect is you know, really, really important.
0: You're really uncovering a lot here because you're so right. My experience and the experience of all of my um, queer friends who have had children is because there wasn't a script for us to follow. We had to write our own um and we accident my husband and I accidentally tripped down a script i was like well i'll play the role of woman i literally thought that i will play mom you will play dad we didn't talk about it but it happened and then all of a sudden i'm doing the dishes i'm cooking the food i'm thinking of the kids clothes and i'm like i actually don't like a lot of this and nor does it align with my strengths my husband luckily was the one who said, wait a second, this isn't working. Let's acknowledge all of the activities that need to occur to be a parent. Then let's decide what are our strengths and weaknesses and let's divide it. And I think everyone has access to that. Every straight couple, every lesbian, no matter what you identify as, you can sit down and go, are we accidentally falling down a a, a script that's not working for us? If it works for you, amazing. Amazing keep rocking and rolling. But if it doesn't, that's, I mean, that's really what you're talking about here, that you can start at the beginning of every relationship, whether it's parenting or not, and go, what's going to work for us? What makes sense for us? Because if the two of you are happy or three of you or four, I don't know, whatever floats your boat, if you guys are happy, who cares?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, it's not to say that, you know, there aren't abusive same-sex relationships and there aren't, you know, problems with, Um, control and all of those things like I know all of those issues domestic violence things like that do exist so it is worth honoring them but I think you know speaking if I'm speaking from my own personal experience and my marriage with my wife I think that we are very good. I mean, she might disagree because <laughs> I'm definitely more messy than her. <laughs> I'm saying this now and I'm like, I bet she listens to this and <laughs> rolls her eyes at me. But no, I'm, I am definitely more messy. Um, people might assume that I would be the typical housewife, you know, like slightly more feminine. But she is definitely like an amazing cook, you know, really good with the cleaning. But then she also does the mechanics so now I'm struggling to think what I bring to the table actually (laughs) she does the yard work and the mechanics and things, um but I do all the I guess the kind of admin the organizing the big picture stuff you know buying a house and you know obviously that was a mutual decision but all of the paperwork and things that go into the back end so there's um I guess there's things that I do there and I do try and cook
0: I love this. I love this entire conversation. We started with one simple question. When did you first come out and second come out? Or when you last came out? The conversation gets beautifully derailed by acknowledging whether or not coming out is even (laughs) a word or an experience that we need to be having. And then what we've created over the course of the conversation is just potentials. And where we landed is you're in control of that. You, You, just the one person. You don't have to wait for a system to be created that everyone follows. You're an individual who gets to communicate your needs, your wants, your desires, your fluidity, your exploration with all the people around you, and that can have an an unbelievable impact on the relationships you have. Who doesn't want that?
1: Exactly, and I'd say like the thing as well is if everybody's on a spectrum, and we we say that you know all people are, are on this spectrum, it stops separating those who have you know come out and those who have not, because I often feel. Um, sad for people who haven't come out I mean I guess like knowing what that that felt Mm. like it it could be a shameful place you know we talked about at the very beginning the traditional in the closet dark lonely blah 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 so if everybody's on the spectrum like yes I could be further to this side you know I'm married I've got my kid on the way but someone else who's not out of the closet by traditional terms, if we get rid of that label and we just put them on the spectrum a bit further back, even if they're only doing things that address their sexuality internally, even if that you know they're they're just like fantasizing about people or, you know, watching lesbian porn or they're doing things themselves that make themselves happy and connected to their sexuality without telling on anyone else, they're still on that spectrum. They're still on their way it's it's like separating this like big definitive moment when like well done you've made it you've reached this milestone you're now a proud you know gay person like it i guess it removes some of those barriers in theory
0: <laughs> i love it thank you for pushing me thank you for challenging these ideas i think this these are critical conversations i hope there's a lot of people listening going wow, I need to think further about this. I want to talk to my friends about this. If people want to talk to you more specifically about their experience, how can they find you? How can they find you and your wife? Uh, where in the world on the internet uh, can we search and, and continue to talk to you?
1: Well, I actually speak to people a lot um, about this. And I think that's kind of one of the things that has formed my views, mostly on Instagram. Um, our Instagram is jessy_and underscore Millie. Um, but more recently I've noticed an influx of women who are slightly older, who may still be married, who may be divorced, who have a few children. Um, yeah, I get questions, I'd say at least weekly about people who are discovering who, who they are and they want to know, you know, how to deal with that. So I guess the main thing I'd say is you're not alone um our dms are always open we've always made a point of replying to every single dm we get um, which sometimes keeps me very busy Mm -hmm. but yeah we're we're always open to having these conversations
0: amazing well thank you for having one with me really appreciate it and have a wonderful rest of your week (sighs) okay we did it how are you guys how are you feeling I know that this episode could have brought up some interesting feelings for some of you, and if it did, there are some resources that I think you should check out. So Minus18 is the first one. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have a bunch of great resources online. They hold wonderful events, and they also offer trainings for classroom and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA plus people. They're also all over social, you can follow them at minus one eight youth and you spell out one eight and their website is minus one eight dot org dot au but they are not a helpline so if you're looking for support in that way you can call q life they're at one eight hundred one eight four five two seven. 184 527 they offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m to midnight um, so if you want to talk to someone about your gender your sexuality your identity relationships any feelings that's a perfect place but if you're feeling really anxious and you're not up to talking on the phone, that's fine. They do have a web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. So their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can follow us on Instagram at Podcast. That's C-O-W-Y-A podcast. And you can also follow me. Uh, my handle is at Sean Zepps. That's S E A N S Z E. PS. Come out wherever you are is a community. And I want as many people within this community, the LGBTQIA plus people, allies, friends, curious folks, I want everyone to have access to this powerful network of people. And the best way for that to happen is for you to share. So if you like this, You can share a link in your group chat, text message, put it on your Instagram story, a little swipe up link. Do whatever you want to help get the message out there. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me and me alone. No one helped me in the creation of the show. I'm kidding. My name is Sean Zepps, But... There are three wonderful people that we need to shout out. Um, My producer, my number one, Lindsey Green, our executive producer, Jennifer Goggin, and our audio producer is Darcy Thompson.
1: Listener.